And it might not be the world's first NFT podcast, but it is the world's best, according to our moms. It is the Nifty Show. I am Joel Com, and that character right there, why, that would be Zach Com. Hello, Zach. Hello, Sir Lord Joel. Check out the, um, in your case, it's Sir Lord Dad. <laughs> Sir Lord Dad? I, Sir I Lord can't Dad. say that. I can start calling you that. I have, that would actually be funny. I have official gear. Sir Lord Travis made a Nifty Show, like a one-off t-shirt, and I don't know if he I hope he's got one for you too. Hey, Trav, where's Zach's shirt? Get, um, give us a double XL stat. Yeah, we need we need the we need the swag, and we got stickers now. Travis is going to be handing them out at VCon, and uh, the three of us are going to be at NFT NYC, and we're going to have a sack load of stickers. So if you're there at NFT NYC in June, just come on up to us and say, "Stick it to me," and we'll look at you funny, and then realize what you're saying, and we'll hand you. A sticker. <laughs> so, Zach, you are between the two of us the one that is closest to high school, I even though like you've been out I'm, for a dozen years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a dozen years out. It's not really close at all. But um, last year, we had a gentleman by the name of Nadav Zemer on the Bad Crypto podcast. He has written a book called Education in the Digital Age How We Get There. And at that time, he was talking about the implementation of Web3, Metaverse, and NFTs to change and revolutionize the public school system. Well, the, the project is finally rolling out. It's called HS.Credit. It's a nonprofit app offering NFTs to 11th and 12th grade students. We'll find out how, why, when, where, what, which, and all the other questions as we welcome Nadav Zemmer to the show. Nadav, how are you? I'm doing well. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. And uh, your your students know you as uh, pr Principal Z, yeah? That's right. Or most which, of them just call me Z. Which is read as principles. <laughs> He's a man with, with principles. Okay, so let's jump right in here. Uh, you know, for those who um, are interested in the original interview talking about the book and what the future looks like, we'll link the Bad Crypto episode in the Nifty Show show notes. Uh, but I want to jump right in here on how you intend to use these NFTs for kids. Tell us about it. Yeah, so right now the way we measure outcomes in education is standardized testing, right? We pour stuff into them and then we measure what comes out. And the issue, no matter how good the standards are of those standardized testing, the stuff that's easy to evaluate on those standardized tests um, is just basically the content, right? Right or wrong answers. But in this day and age, students have to learn how to deal with ambiguity and complexity, not just complicatedness. <clears throat> and so we're creating a new um, the, uh, just a transcript, right? So just like Uber has no cars or everybody has no hotels, we have no schools. We're just a transcript or the place you come to mint these NFTs and they're um, evaluated based on performance-based assessment, which is a more ancient form of assessment than the industrial model. Um, and students at any school, you don't have to have gone to the right middle school, the right, you know, you can, any student, any school can get one of these gold standard credits. And the concept for people that are familiar with NFTs, especially is easy to understand because Bitcoin is just a ledger. A high school transcript is just a ledger, right? So all we're doing is decentralizing the high school ledger, um, and getting the politicians and the corporations out of the way so that we evaluate content. We have these credit experts on the platform who are paid a lot of money to evaluate the incoming content and they evaluate it, um, using skills practice, so performance-based assessment practices, 
Um, and, uh, you know, and it's it, what makes this possible is just the fact that now literacy isn't pen and paper, it's audio and video. And with audio and video, you can do uh, get a lot higher resolution view of the young person. Um, and so we're just, it's a, you know, if we're going from fiat credits to gold standard credits uh, in high schools. So let, let's explore some of the hints that you just dropped there. First off, you're talking about audio and video footage of students. And, and then you talked about these performance-based evaluation. So what is the material task that a student would be doing relative to acquiring one of these credits? Yep. So we are not a Coursera. We don't offer courses. Um, we don't offer tasks. We offer the evaluation at the end. So let me give you an idea. So kind of in the in the um, business world, we talk about inversion, right? When the top down systems flip to the bottom up where the consumer becomes uh, part of the designer and uh, owner of the credit. Same thing's happening in classrooms. So instead of the teacher being the owner of information, the students with NFTs can own um, their content. So what it looks like is instead of cramming for an exam at the end, of a unit of learning the way we do now, we cram for the exam at the beginning. So to, to unlock one of these credits, to initiate the credit, you you stake content. Kids have to put skin in the game. It's not a push model, it's a pull model. So they have to show they're pulling. They stake content. They say, here's the stuff that I read. Here's the topic that I'm interested in. Here's the task of what I'm gonna do. Um, and it's either given them by their teacher or something they created, and then they submit it. And then they go away with their teacher and do the, the experience of learning and come back at the end and just upload the final product. And the way it's evaluated is they choose the skills. They tell us how we want them to evaluate them in the product. So they have we have a database of skills. Those skills come from standards that exist right now. Um, so we just standards are very easy to convert into skill assessments because most rows in a standards rubric are skills. And so we're just importing them into our database. You can choose the AP skills, the region skills, whatever type of skills you want. You choose the specific skills and that builds a custom rubric for our evaluators to evaluate the piece at the end. So we're not doing the course. We're not designing any of the curriculum. There's no teacher intellectual property. We're just doing the evaluation at the end. We have an objective, three objective third-party evaluators who evaluate the pieces and then mint it as an NFT if they meet the standard. Does that sound familiar to you, Zach, of the idea of, you know, rolling your own, deciding what you want to learn? Yes. Yes, it, it, it actually uh, does ring quite reminiscent of... And, and why experience. would that be? <laughs> because uh, you, you and mom decided to homeschool uh, myself and Jenna. And there was there was a lot of freedom involved in that. And it did give us ample opportunity to explore our talents and interests and help to facilitate things that definitely would not have been facilitated in the sort of uh, mass production model that we have in schools today. So I, I could definitely see the parallels here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Lots of parallels there. I agree. So how then does somebody earn with this? So the teachers earn, so the, the student chooses who they're going to list as their teacher. So if they're in a math class, but the person that really helps them is their uncle, they would list the uncle as a teacher. They get to choose who that person is. That person gets notified and they have to accept the relationship. That's say, okay, I'm going to mentor this young person through this credit. Um, and they can see what the student, the content the student stakes so what they're planning on doing. If someone is successful, not at having the student earn the credit, but at predicting whether the, the credit will be approved for an NFT, Right. So if they say when they say it's not going to prove it doesn't, when they say it will, it does. They can then become one of those graders and earn 150 bucks an hour to grade on the platform. So that's how the adults, the teachers are incentivized um, to do to um, off the platform to evaluate effectively so that once something gets on the platform, um, it is ready to go. The students only earn crypto. They earn these NFTs in their wallet. Um, 
but they only earn crypto if they work with other students in their area to create a block of academic capital. So what that means is they all have approved credits. And if they can get a bunch of them together and they put them into a block, they upload it to the platform, they sign off with their key and they say these 20 credits we're putting in a block and they have to make a case that that block is diverse. So we use zip code as a proxy for diversity. So they have to say there's a student each zip code and this is why these zip codes are different. The most diverse blocks are the ones that get issued the cryptocurrency. It's a thousand of our WeDo coins in their wallet every month for 25 years. So it's kind of like a basic income. So what we're doing is saying that the stream of content that comes off our platform has to be diverse. If it's all a certain socioeconomic group, we failed at educating young people because we want them to interface with people who are not like them and force them to do that. So that's how young people earn blocks of academic capital and get that um, crypto reward. So this financial aspect in this approach is incredibly unique and and interesting, but this is a really sophisticated project as a whole. It's it's taking some time to sink in. So I want to pull back just for a moment because it it sounds to me, I'm, I'm trying to identify how exactly does this change the system and it looks to me like it changes the system by providing a significantly higher resolution of the value that a high school students can bring to society is actively developing in their formative years than any kind of standardized text testing that exists today yeah so the flip the way i talk about it is from being we're instead of teaching our kids how to be consumers we're teaching them how to be producers right so we're getting them take their phone and turn it into a microphone or camera and have them get interested enough in content that they um, that they produce content and that they teach. Um, so, and the, and the fact that we put the assessment, the high stakes assessment, we say we put the stake back in high stakes because students have to put something at stake. They have to use their attention, which is their value proposition, and spend that attention to learn something before they can even start a credit on our platform, right? So they stake that credit and that's their pulling, and then they can, um, they're showing that they're ready to do the hard work to produce content, which is hard to do, right? To get from zero to producing a piece, there's there's a lot to navigate. Um, and so we screen kids out at that front end um, because a lot of kids aren't ready for that and aren't ready to pull, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the key innovation is that the only kids, we're not wasting their time and telling them at the end of learning, you didn't get the credit. We're forcing the teacher and the student to have a conversation at the beginning of whether they're willing to pull and deal with the frustration tolerance, the working with peers, all the different pieces that we think are important for a young person to learn to ship product. And all we do is evaluate the quality of their work. We're not evaluating human beings. So we don't give a kid an F. We give a piece of work an F. And then the kid can say, okay, I need to rework that and try again, but we're not evaluating human beings. We're just evaluating work products. And if you look at Wikipedia's definition of authentic learning, it nails exactly what our platform is delivering. Wikipedia does a great job. So we're just implementing authentic learning, which is a very ancient practice. It, came, it was it existed way before the industrial area had these standardized ways of learning where we treat kids like products through moving through an assembly line. Yeah, it's it's really horrendous what it's become, especially because the standards continue to be lower and lower. And it's so funny, you know, the only time in life that we are put together in a room with people of so many different um, diverse backgrounds and forced to do the same thing is in school. And it's yeah. it's insanity. There's just it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it looks to me like this is a very self-selecting program, right? You're going to have students yeah. that are motivated regardless of their socioeconomic status. The ones who are motivated are the ones who are going to participate. You're starting with 11th and 12th grade. I'm assuming that that will expand, but it makes sense because those 11th and 12th graders that are motivated are thinking about 
the future of their education and what happens next. So this actually can provide an opportunity for them to begin saving up for college. Right. There's a few pieces to why we do the last two years of their K through 12 journey. It might be when they're 25, frankly, because I work with kids that get kicked out of other schools. So most of my kids are over age and undercredited. So it's not by age. But the reason is a lot of uh, efforts in education start with pre-K, right? And it takes them 14 years to find out that they made no difference. Um, so for us, every two years, we're going to have data to see if we're making a difference. And if we can do this and show that we have high quality data based on performance based assessment and start shifting weight so that somebody goes to an AP class and the teacher says, hey, guys, you can either take a four hour exam at the end of this course or every month during the course, upload a 10 minute video. Which one do you want? As we start shifting weight off of the standardized model into off the consumer model, into the producer model, um, all the grades below that will have to start changing to get ready for that. That'll become the gold standard. So we're actually never gonna expand past these last two years. It's also the two years that kids make the best quality product because they're the most mature and oldest and have the skills, right? They're ready for this. The other grades will have to prepare them for this, however they end up doing that. So we're changing the incentive structure for what happens at the end of your journey. And by that, we're hoping to impact everything all the way to pre-K on up. I like it, I like it a lot. Um... I think that there's a lot of potential here. Do you think that educators in general will embrace this? Or do you think that there's some that, you know, are just married to the system that they yeah. are using? So I've been doing this work for 20 years using podcasts and videos as a physics teacher and a robotics coach. And I had huge results with that. And then as a high school principal since 2010, and again, turned around a school and the data, everybody, nobody can understand how we were producing the data. Um, and when I would tell them about what we're doing, they, they wouldn't really understand it, including parents, until they'd come into the school and experience it. And then everybody felt the magic, because when kids are walking up to you with a microphone, the minute you walk in, bombarding you, asking you questions, diving deep, right, really having, doing that critical thinking, you can't help but know what goes on. So everybody gets it. And the media that students do right now in social media, a lot of parents don't get what's happening on Twitter, but they do get when it's academic in nature, and the academic skills of research. And, um, you know, the, so parents actually are kind of, um, enjoy seeing this and they get moved by seeing their young person be academic. So they're actually on board much faster than people think. Um, educators, there's a large group of educators who are already opting out of standardized testing, either through the opt-out movement or through consortium schools or through portfolio-based schools and private schools. And so what we're doing is just making that model available to any teacher at any school, rather than just if you're at one of these schools that has managed to negotiate with the state not to do the regents exam if we're in New York, if we're in New York State. So there's a there's maybe 30% of uh, communities that are already doing this. And then we hope to expand and we hope to get to the point that any teacher through their union contract has the right to not teach the test ever, that they can always say, no, I do not have to teach the test. There's now another option. There's something from the opt-out movement to opt into, which has never existed in high school. The opt-out movement only exists in elementary and middle school. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of opted out of high school by not going to class and right right and, and that's what kids well that's what kids are doing now because they know that the craft that they're learning in school isn't relevant to them and so we spend more and more money and we can't even improve improve the the, the rigged standardized test scores we can't even get those up anymore right because the kids know that it's bullshit and that's why my school always did so much better than everybody else because the kids felt like this is relevant to me the types of skills we taught mindfulness so that they could focus their attention in an economy that is everybody's you know, clamoring to get human attention, the kids started to get, wow, my attention is valuable and I need to learn how to harness it. And that means learning how to, you know, produce it and work ethic. And they started to get, wow, this is really relevant no matter what I do in life. And they engaged. 
one of the things in your bio really jumped out of me. You just said it. What does a robotics coach do? I have to know. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the first robotics competition, we build these 120-pound, five-foot-tall robots, and they compete. Into, it's like a sports arena. It's like a sporting event. But instead of the kids being on the baseball team, they're on the robotics team. Um, and we have six weeks to build the robot. So we would live at the lab. I would literally sleep in school. I wasn't married at the time uh, for six weeks to ship the product. Um, and that's how we would just brute force. That's how we beat all the private schools. We were a low-income, high-power, you know, like a really tough public school. And we took down, we took first place in New York City um, and even New York State with some of these uh, upstate schools um, just by brute force because we would spend more time than everybody else developing it. I had to go look up. I don't know if you've been involved in this one at all. Firstinspires.org, first robotics competition. But this is the type of thing that uh, these kids who are so much smarter than I ever aspired to be in school. Do you speak to them in binary? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. We we learn how to count binary in our fingers. Actually, that's one of the oh. things in my class that I teach as a in my technology class that I taught. Oh, wait, wait, Zach, do you know how to count binary on your fingers? Uh, no, I I learned enough binary to solve a sort of like kinetic puzzle that involved counting uh, through eight digits of binary, but uh, didn't, didn't learn much about it beyond that. Give us a like a really abbreviated quick lesson. Show me, show me how Here you do that. So it's. One, uh, you're in my backwards on the screen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen, right? Wow. It's, yeah. It's a sign language all its own. It is. <laughs> what do you think, Zach? Pretty cool, huh? You wish you had this? Uh, so the, the most valuable piece of it to me is not just what it provides to educators. Uh, but how it broadens the pool of who can become an educator in the most practical and impactful sense. The example that he was sharing with us before was, we'll say your uncle is teaching you math. Your uncle might not know how to teach, but if he's able to communicate a skill to you, then that's all that's required to allow a, a kid who's about to graduate to significantly more invest in their personal future. Yeah, you're the first you're the first I've been a lot of podcasts. You're the first one to highlight that. And that is my favorite part of this is that we're going to start having like this heat map of where the real educators showing up. Right. Rather than the teachers that claim to be educators and are really hurting our kids and telling them they're never going to make it. I I totally agree with you. That's a critical part of this. Well, and I'm thinking of it as a homeschooling parent, you know, how nice it would have been to, you know, earn cryptocurrency getting paid like you know you don't get paid as a homeschooling parent to teach you don't get paid as a parent and you don't get paid as a teacher uh, but yet you're still paying taxes to the public right. school system so if you know if we're going to take on responsibility for teaching our kids why shouldn't we earn uh, for that labor beyond the joy and delight of a job well done and then having the benefit of the other parents grading your students' work rather than you grading your own students' work. You know that there are going to be these pseudonymous other graders grading the work on the platform, and you're going to be grading other students' work and getting paid 150 bucks an hour to do it, right? It's a nice sharing of that, uh, of that high-stakes piece of evaluating what's worth the credit. And the timing of this is, is also just as important because that, that intuition that the school system is full of shit is becoming widespread, not just among the students, but also among the parents, because we're seeing an unprecedented rise in the number of households that are engaged in homeschooling. So this could just be a a fantastic direct tool for everybody who's now participating in that more open system. 
Yeah, the year before COVID, I lived in Japan and wrote the book and it came out right at the beginning of COVID. And I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been doing this stuff for 20 years and nobody understood. And now suddenly I say three letters, NFT. And people think for a second, like, I'd say NFT transcript. And people that know NFTs get it immediately. That's it. I say, you know, those. that's a little code. And it's amazing for me after so long of people giving me these funny, you know, crazy looks of what the hell are you doing until they visit the school. Now they don't have to visit. I just say that and they totally get it. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this and I have a little um, uh, social question as you've been an educator for so long um, and I'm sure you've worked with all ages. Um, it's been said that what we've done with our children um, in schools by masking them up, um, separating them has hurt them developmentally. Uh, do you believe that that's true and what if so, what long-term repercussions do you think we're going to see as these children um, become adults? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I only know high school. I don't work, but I have, I'm a foster parent. And so I have um, babies in my care and certainly zero to three in particular, that little baby that doesn't know what the hell's going on and can't understand explanation, looking at a face and not seeing the features that they're biologically and you know meant to see. Um, that's going to have deep implications in the same way that any trauma during zero to three, um, you know, shows up in life. And I mean, I, I'm not smart enough to predict what that's going to look like, but I know that it's going to have some impact of, uh, of attachment to, uh, to people and maybe attachment to masks. Maybe they're going to grow up and all wear masks as a fashion statement because that's going to give them some kind of comfort. I'm not sure. Well, I think that there definitely will be, you know, this this notion of the masked, you know, COVID generation, that that's going to be a very real thing. Zach, you're laughing. Why? Widespread developmental trauma doesn't seem like a great note to end an episode on. We've we got, we, we got to throw one more question out there. That's Go ahead. not related to this. Um, I, I, what oh, that was a challenge to me. You don't no, actually no, 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 have no. to no, I, okay. I have I have one. I, I want to know what the aha moment was for you when when this idea really clicked into place yeah when i realized that um i well so i was a software engineer in the 90s um at netscape working for digital and, and so i had connections to that world and i knew about bitcoin i did not think bitcoin was going to make it i didn't think you know linux would expand right so i'm seeing open source and i'm seeing decentralization happen so when bitcoin by 2017 when bitcoin clicked um and then i said wait a transcript is a ledger that was the moment mm. Very good awakening. All right, the website, hs.credit. And when will the application be downloadable for Android and iOS? So invite only should be by this September school opening. Um, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Nadav, thanks for uh, for coming on. Uh, great to see your vision coming to fruition, right? Yeah. You know, the, the first came the book and the idea and the genesis of it. Now you're actually, you know, putting legs to it and look forward to uh, revisiting after it's it's been rolled out for a little bit right. and seeing. Last time we talked, out. I was still working in a school. I actually since resigned and do this full time now. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate your support and the opportunity to have these conversations. Absolutely. Thanks, friend. Appreciate you. All right. Well, and thanks to all of you uh, who hopefully learned something today. We award you with Nifty Show credit for what you've learned. There won't be a test, though. We're just, we just rained fake coins on you right yeah, now. It's not redeemable for anything. Don't, don't go trying to, to take that to an exchange. It's re redeemable for good, warm, fuzzy feelings. Good, good, warm, fuzzy feelings. I, I we, can't, we can't reduce emotions to such transactional uh, fundamentals like that. 
They ebb and they flow and they're all over the place. I can do what I want. (laughs) Don't tell me what I can do. Um, I won't tell you guys what to do, but we would really appreciate it if you would go and review the show. We love five stars. and uh, Give us some credit where credit might be due. And uh, tell a friend about the Nifty Show. Maybe not the world's first NFT podcast, but definitely the best, according to our moms. And until next time, keep it nifty. Looking into the future, what do we see? It's lined with digital collectibles, we call them NFTs. Games, trading cards, digital art, and those crypto kitties. Joel and Zach are the hosts you'll know. Joel and Zach say this will blow. They're locked and loaded, so ready, set, go! It's the Nifty, really kind of spiffy, the Nifty Show.